from now, when people are wondering what happened with the Minneapolis uprisings of 2020, they can literally come back to these boards and learn the entire history just from what's painted here. Listen to NPR and hear every voice. Radio Catskill, your NPR station for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Support for WJFF comes from Two Queens, offering coffee, tea, and bees. Located in Pete's Plaza, Narrowsburg, New York. TwoQueensCoffee.com. And from listener donations at WJFFRadio.org. Support for Radio Catskill comes from the Calicoon Theater an updated vintage movie theater with new releases, film festivals, nostalgic screenings, live music events, and more. Information and schedule at thecalicoontheater.com. Good morning. Welcome to Catskill Character on WJFF. I'm your host, Donna Fellenberg, and my guest today is Shireen Padua. Shireen is new to the Catskills, but she has married into Catskill royalty, the Padua family, famous for their mad skills on the river. Shireen hails from Colorado, and although it's a long way from the Delaware, it will soon become apparent what a perfect fit Shireen is to the Catskills. Please enjoy my conversation with Shireen Padua. Welcome to Catskill Character, Shireen. Hi, Donna. Thanks for having me. (laughs) To start off, how about you tell the listener what it was like growing up in Glenwood Springs, Colorado? I had a wonderful childhood in Glenwood Springs. It's on the western side of the state, and it's well known for its hot springs. It has the world's largest hot springs pool. And when I was growing up, there was a bunch of small little natural hot springs along the river as well. So it was always fun to walk down to the river and jump in the hot springs. The valley is quite beautiful. It's surrounded by mountains and the house that I grew up in has uh, BLM land right behind it. So we were always able to go up into the mountains and there was several trails within a couple blocks of where we grew up. Would you tell the listener what BLM means? Bureau of Land Management. It means public lands. Okay. You can kind of uh, do whatever you want on BLM land. You can camp, you can ride your ATVs, you can hike, you can, you know, you can kind of do any number of activities. It's pretty mm-hmm. wild and free. Less restricted than like a national park or national forest. So you have one brother, correct? I do. Yep. And is he older or younger than you? He is older than me. We've always been quite close. In fact, when I was born, my parents asked my brother what he thought that they should name me. And he said, Princess of the Circus or Shireen. (laughs) And so I got lucky with my name and I owe him a thank you for that. Well, he named you a very exotic name. What's his name? His name is Mike. Mike, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you got the you got the gold, Shireen. Yeah, he was blazing the way for me, definitely. Yeah. Well, you have a very interesting family. Would you tell us a bit about them? Sure. So my mother is a house painter, and she has always been great at fixing things and looking at things and figuring out how to fix them. And She's quite handy and has an artistic eye. So I would paint with her through high school and college as a summer job. And I think I learned quite a bit about how to fix things and 
what she really taught me was when you don't know how to fix something, if you just look at it long enough, you usually can figure out the answer. She really taught me how to really look closely at things, to dissect it, to, to figure out how to do things. And my dad is quite handy as well. He's a concrete finisher and also a tremendous gardener. And so I think I learned a lot of my love of nature through him. And both of my grandmothers were fine artists. My grandmother on my dad's side was an art teacher and a home ec teacher. And she would have me over in the summer times and um, I would pick out my going back to school clothes Except instead of buying them, we would buy patterns and then she would help me make them. So I had all handmade, very unique clothes from the time I was pretty young, probably like fourth or fifth grade or something. I was making a bunch of my own clothes. You were styling. I was styling. Yeah, I was styling. Yeah, and made it myself. So that was always uh, pretty unique and quite fun. So yeah. both of your grandmothers had a huge impact on you as well. Yeah, certainly. I still have both. I have paintings from both sides of my grandmothers in my house now. My grandmother on my mom's side was a fine artist as well. I mean, she would just paint mostly kind of like mystical Colorado landscapes. My grandmother on my father's side is very eclectic and bold and would always incorporate materials and leather and wood and things that she found out in the forest and special rocks and hand-stamped fabrics and a bit more like wild style. So I think I got a little bit of both of them, I would say. After you graduated from high school, you told me you went to Colorado State University. After college... I, well, during the summer, I would raft guide down in uh, Buena Vista, Colorado. And then after college, I moved to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, where I did a bit of interior design there as well for a couple years. It wasn't exactly my cup of tea. And I don't know if it was just time in my life or the firm I was with. But in college, I had this idealistic view of the world where I was going to save the world through design, and it was going to be this very holistic process and very sustainable and green. And then my experience was that most of the homes I was designing were second or third homes, and um, you know, people would only live there for two weeks out of the year, mm-hmm. yet they were spending a ton of money on building these gigantic homes, and it felt pretty wasteful to me. And pretty disconnected from my idealistic view of what design should be. That that career kind of fell through with the drop of the economy in 2008. And I segued into adaptive sports, which was fascinating and a bit more rewarding. And I also got to spend a lot more time outside and making really big impacts in people's lives. Let's talk about what adaptive sports is. Yeah, so it's sports for people with disabilities. And I would work with people both with cognitive disabilities as well as physical, and it would be any age. So kids through adults and pretty much any kind of disability, we would work with those folks. It was both winter programs and summer programs, and it was focused on mountain-specific sports, more like skiing and kayaking as opposed to, you know, soccer and basketball. So yeah, I would take people rafting, I took them rock climbing, kayaking, mountain biking, skiing, 
started a sled hockey program. Um, sled hockey? Yeah, sled hockey is, it's hockey. And if you can imagine what a sit ski looks like, there's kind of a bucket seat. But with hockey, it's similar, except you're lower to the ground. There's two ice skate blades underneath um, your seat. And then you have two pucks or two like sticks that you can push yourself around with. And then you turn it over and you can hit the puck with it. So it's a pretty up and coming thing. There's different programs all over the U.S. And it's really quite fun. Um, I do have a one really great story about an adaptive sports experience. There was this young man that reached out to us who was quite athletic. He was born with one arm that was not fully developed. And there's an athletic endeavor in Jackson Hole called The Picnic, where you ride your bike from town out to Grand Teton National Park, which is, I don't know, probably like 30 miles or 40 miles. And then you swim across a lake and then you climb up the Grand Teton and then you climb back down, swim across the lake again, and then ride your bike back into town. Wow. And he wanted to do this. And I knew I was not the partner for him, but I could be a great support person for him. So I connected him with another man who's um, one of the best climbers in the valley. And I was the support team along with a coworker. So it was really tremendous. We, we rode the truck out and supported him while he biked. And then we were paddling across Jackson Lake at two in the morning under the stars, pitch black. And he was quite nervous about the swim because, he, you know, he only has one functioning arm. And then he made it up the mountain and back. He did the whole thing in 16 hours. The wow. first time I climbed the Grand Teton, it took me 18 hours. And that was just the climbing, you know, just the hike and the climbs. It was a pretty incredible feat. And I was um, quite glad to be part of that experience. But there was so many stories of really enriching and really wonderful experiences through that, through that job. Well, you said you wanted to do something more meaningful. And that's certainly... <laughs> You know, you can't get more meaningful than that. Yeah. And just the connection that you have with the community and people and bringing nature into people's lives is really something fabulous. Yeah. You know, when we spoke earlier, you called your sewing career your side hustle. And I love that. But while you were in Jackson Hole, you also worked as a tailor for six years, right? Yes, that's right. So I was a tailor for six years in Jackson. Um, but before that, I told you how I would sew my clothes as a young kid, and then I would make my prom dresses and whatnot. And in college, I made the costumes for the summer theater program. Um, so I had a really good foundation and basis for sewing and then got into uh, tailoring. And also living in Jackson, there's always people who needed their gear and equipment fixed, Mm -hmm. So now I have a really wide skill set where I can work on anything from wedding dresses to tents. My next project, I'm making a 20 foot by 40 foot canopy tent to be used on a person's property while they're camping out there. Wow. Um, and then after that, I'm doing a formal dress, a bridesmaid's dress. So it's it's pretty diverse. I have a pretty diverse set of skills as far as sewing goes. You certainly do. And it, it sounds like you, you're never bored. <laughs> no, I'm never bored. <laughs> no, nope. Well, you did find your way here to the Delaware River, Shireen, and we're going to talk about that after the break, okay? That sounds great. Thanks, Donna. 
You've been listening to Catskill Character on WJFF Radio Catskill. I'm your host, Donna Fellenberg, and my guest, Shireen Padua, and I will be right back, so stay tuned. On this week's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the kid Mero from Jesus and Mero tells us how he wants to be remembered. And Kanye turns to me and says the greatest quote, and I want this on my grave so when I go home, she goes, watch out for my wife, dog. <laughs> I'm Peter Sagal. If you want to know how that happened, tune into this week's news quiz from NPR. Sunday morning at 10 on Radio Catskill. This is Catskill Character, and I'm your host, Donna Fellenberg. My guest today is Shireen Padua, and in the first half of the show, Shireen spoke about her life out west growing up in Colorado. She worked as an interior designer, a tailor, adaptive sports instructor, and in the second half of the show, she'll be speaking about her work as a rafting guide and how she came to be here in the Catskills. I'm glad you tuned in. Here's more of my conversation with Shireen Padua. I'd like to start the second half of the show off with you talking about your other career as a rafting guide. Okay, that sounds great. Yeah, you know, I think that my experience as a rafting guide is what led me into adaptive sports because um, my boss at the time was like, oh yeah, she can she can do anything. <laughs> rafting certainly makes you a strong person. Um, but I got into raft guiding in college in Buena Vista, like I had mentioned, on the Arkansas River and worked for a really small company where they basically trained me all summer long. I was the office girl part of the time and then took probably like 10 trips or something that summer. But mostly I just trained and got on the water as much as possible. Um, worked there for a couple of years and then moved up to Jackson where I was a raft guide and through that experience, I have met some of my best friends on earth. And I guess we kind of have a river family, similar to the river family here on the Delaware. I imagine it's kind of like what camp counselors go through when they're at camp, where they become really close to their other camp counselors. However, I've never been a camp counselor, but I imagine it's similar where you're going through similar experiences. You're outside, you're working with people, you're having fun all the time, and there's a really strong bond that grows between mm -hmm. people. Through one of those friendships is how I met my husband, Evan, through um, a good friend, Billy, who introduced us on a fishing trip. So I raft guided there for a few years, and it was wild. We would do like four or five trips a day on the Snake River, and it's uh, class three, sometimes class four when it's high water. Could you just tell the audience about the different uh, class of yeah. rafting of the, of the water? Yep. So there's class one through five, um, and it describes how difficult or challenging or dangerous it is, basically. So class one is any water that's moving, but doesn't have white water on it. So a lot of the Delaware near to where we live would be considered class one. Class two is whenever you see white water. So if there's like a little riffle or a little, you know, like some more movement or agitation, some white water, that's class two. Class three means that there are some obstacles that you need to avoid or some moves that you need to make while rafting in order to safely get through the rapid. 
But if you don't make those, there's usually enough time. There's like an eddy or a pool where you have time to recover. Class four means that you definitely need to make some moves and the consequences are higher and there's less time to recover if you don't make those moves. And then class five would be the most severe where there are serious consequences if you don't make moves and it's a bit more challenging to make those moves. Mm. So it's kind of based on speed, the size of the waves or hydraulics, the amount of time that you have to recover, um, the consequences of what happens if you don't make those moves. And, you know, we keep talking about rafting and rafts, but we're not talking about rafts where you've got some uh, logs tied together. They're very specific to the kind of, uh, I guess, class that you're you're typically uh, going to be going down, the rapids that you're going to be going down. Isn't that true? You have to have a good raft. You do have to have a good raft. Um, I would say that it, a lot of it is the person who's rowing or paddling the raft mm. and the raft itself. You know, if you're doing a Grand Canyon trip, you want a big raft because there's bigger waves. So a lot of times if it's a Grand Canyon trip, it'll be like an 18 foot raft. It'll have a center mount frame and it'll be packed to the gills with gear and food and whatnot. Um, so that's a bit more extreme, but you know, a lot of the rafts that you could rent at like landers or something like that, you can, you can use those kinds of rafts on more technical whitewater. It oh. just depends on if you know how to move it and if you have the skills to move it. Smaller rafts are going to be more agile and so they can be quite fun in, in bigger water because you can move around quicker but then also, you know, they might flip over a bit easier because they're lighter. So it's kind of an interesting game when you pick out the equipment that you want, depending on what kinds of rafting you want to be doing. Yeah. I'm assuming you've had some exciting moments. You know, actually, just last weekend uh, was my birthday. And, and my husband and I went up to the upper Hudson River near North Creek, and it is a beautiful section of whitewater. It's a 17-mile stretch. It's class three, and it's remote. There's no roads near to it the whole time. Um, and we, I was in a pack raft, which is a small inflatable kayak, basically. And my husband was on his raft. It was a 15-foot boat with a center mount oar frame. And we, I mean, we had a wild time. I got in the pack raft right out of the gate there and it was full on class three whitewater from the get go. And I was paddling nonstop for about three miles. And with the pack rafts, you can put um, gear into the tube so it makes it heavier. So you can kind of plow through the waves a bit easier, but I did not have anything in the tubes. So I was getting bounced around quite a bit. And I was like, wait a minute, it's my birthday. I'm supposed to be sitting on the front of the boat with a beer in my hand and a bikini. <laughs> so after a couple miles, I was like, wait, let me on the raft. So I, I switched and got onto the raft and then we finished the rest of the section together. I rode some and he rode some and we were fishing and it's beautiful whitewater. It's pretty continuous. We did the 17 miles in about four or five hours. 
Mm. And since it's dam release, you only have a couple hour period where you can get on the water. And if you dilly dally too much, the water will drop. And then you're stuck up the creek without water. So Mm -hmm. you kind of have to keep moving along to stay on, they call it the bubble of Mm -hmm. when the dam releases water. Oh, that's kind of exciting for you to discover a new river, right? A a new place to really assert your skills. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, especially since uh, moving out here, I love the Delaware and it's it's beautiful and a bit more calm. So it was really fun for me to find some water that was more exhilarating and kind of reminded me of the waters that I have rafted out west. So it felt Mm -hmm. a little nostalgic to me, I guess. Yeah, the Delaware is very different from what I think what you're used to. But um, I was wondering, have you have you ever had any scary moments out on the river? Um, I have had a few scary moments. Um, our honeymoon, we went on the Gunnison River. It, we called it the Gunny Moon. And we were pack rafting. And I randomly ran into a lifelong friend and he told us to go upstream the first mile. It's flat water with one little riffle and then a beautiful camp with really big fish. So on our first night of our our gunny moon, we decided we were going to go upstream, which was fine until we got to the rapid. And it wasn't that big of a rapid, but it still is pretty fast moving water. So We tied our pack rafts together and I went upstream and had them on a rope and Evan was pushing them into the current and kind of like pushing them up the current um, with his hand and also with a paddle to kind of like scooch them up the rapid. And I had had the rope and was pulling them up the rapid and all of a sudden the rafts flipped over and so they filled up with water and suddenly all of our our boats which were going to get us downstream and all of our food equipment sleeping bag tent are in the boats and there's suddenly a lot of tension on the rope and it starts running through my hand which is a really good way to get a rope burn but Mm -hmm. luckily I was quick on my feet and I ended up pressure hitching the rope around a rock so you just like quickly tie it around a rock and it will take the pressure off um so we were then able to recover all of our stuff and we decided to pack the rafts around the rapid instead of pull them up the rapid and i did get away with just some minor rope burn it wasn't all that serious Mm. um but it's a good life lesson to go with the flow as opposed to going upstream. Right. You know, I'm thinking as I'm listening to you, you must have a really huge amount of self-trust. You've learned to really trust yourself, trust your instincts. And what a gift that is to have in life. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I guess that I, I do have that. And, you know, a lot of times you find yourself in a situation and you just have to come up with, some something to do and so then you just pick the next best thing to do and try it and it either works or doesn't Mm -hmm. but um i you know i think that's applicable in life but also in rafting certainly or in sewing or painting or you know any number of things it's you just got to try something and the more confident you are going into it the better luck you're going to have at getting through it yeah and you build experience upon experience and your confidence grows and uh, 
It's a, it's a fantastic gift. And I, you know, you, you mentioned painting a couple of times and I wanted to tell you, I saw your husband doing a, a video on YouTube and he pointed out that the painting that was behind him was done by his wife. Oh and yeah. Mentioned that you, you paint as well. Yes, I do paint. Still. Yeah. Yeah. I love painting. Our house is adorned with our paintings right now. But most of them are of uh, like the Grand Teton and the mountains in the West. And so I'm ready to branch out and paint some new subject matter, um, such as the Delaware and the foliage here and the creatures and people here. So I'm looking forward to having some new things to paint, some new inspiration. Yeah, well, I'll look forward to seeing those. And speaking of looking forward, um, I'm, I'm wondering, what, what are your hopes and your dreams for your life here as you go forward? Yeah, well, right now, Evan and I are trying to figure out how we can spend part of the time out west, probably in the winters, and part of the time here in the summers is what we're thinking. Mm -hmm. So matching up the careers and the money and the time off and the living situations and all that stuff. That's that's our immediate goal. But um, I think being fresh to this valley, I'm really looking forward to meeting some people who have some similar interests, specifically in some of the outdoor sports that I love so much, and also organic gardening and um, harvesting food from nature is really interesting. So I think right now I'm working on relationships, really meaningful relationships with people as well as finding some of the natural inspiration around here that is quite new to me. So, you know, just working on happiness one day at a time. Yeah, I like that. Working yeah. Happiness. Well, you know, I want to thank you so much, Shireen, for joining me today. It's really been a pleasure. And, I, and I'm, I'm happy to say that you're my neighbor. So maybe I'll, in one of your runs, you'll come up to the house. We'll go for a swim. Oh, that would be fantastic. I'll, okay. I'll take you up on that. I'd love okay, those. great. Thank you for having me, Donna. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure, Shireen. Thank you. Thank you. This has been Catskill Character with today's guest, Shireen Padua. Shireen can be reached at sosister.shireen at gmail.com. And that's S-E-W-S-I-S-T-E-R dot Shireen, C-H-E-R-E-N-E, at gmail.com. Catskill Character is on Saturdays at 11.30, right after Rosie Starr's Farm and Country. The last Saturday of the month, you'll find Greg Triggs, Travels with Triggs, in the same 11.30 time slot. Please tune in and join us for conversations with fascinating people of the Catskills and beyond. As always, thanks for listening to WJFF Radio Catskill. And please stay safe. Support for Radio Catskill comes from the Calicoon Theater, an updated vintage movie theater with new releases, film festivals, nostalgic screenings, live music events, and more. Information and schedule at thecalicoontheater.com. Support for WJFF comes from Two Queens, offering coffee, tea, and bees. Located in Pete's Plaza, Narrowsburg, New York. TwoQueensCoffee.com.
and from listener donations at WJFFradio.org. Radio Catskill's fabulous online auction starts Wednesday. Preview the exciting auction items now and register to bid. So many generous businesses and organizations have donated, from local restaurants to hotels to a premium pontoon rental on Swinging Bridge Lake. Go to WJFFradio.org. The fabulous online auction. Bid, win, support. Radio Catskill. WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Support comes from the Homestead School, Montessori Education, preschool through early college with campuses in Glens Bay and Hurleyville. Building the intelligence, creativity, connection, and skills for an ecological future since 1978. Homesteadschool.com. From the River Reporter newspaper in Narrowsburg, New York. Riverreporter.com. And from listener donations at WJFFradio.org. Support for Radio Catskill comes from the Neversink General Store, featuring an award-winning chef, smoked barbecue year-round, local products and catering, now offering takeout, NeversinkGeneralStore.com. And from listeners like you. Trying to make it real compared to what... I went to a conference and someone proceeds to present slides where passages from my book are paraphrased and they don't give me any credit. I was livid. This was not the first time that my work had been appropriated or plagiarized. This was really kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. I called one of my best friends and I said, you know what I'm gonna do? The next time I go to a conference, I'm gonna make t-shirts that say Sight Black Women, period. And I'm gonna wear them and I wanna see folk look me in my eye and not sight me with these t-shirts on. What began as that proverbial straw became a t-shirt. Now it's a movement. Dr. Kristen Smith, professor of African Diaspora Studies and Anthropology, founder of Hashtag Sight Black Women, this week on The Janice Adams Show. 